A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Oh, Lorraine, I've got some very, very noisy new neighbors. It's just okay. keeping me up at night. Well, not keeping me up at night, keeping me up in the morning. Half past five, they, they get going. They're very, very loud, very, very screechy. <laughs> Well, the parakeets are having a party. The parakeets have moved into the tree uh, in the garden behind our house next door but one. <laughs> they are so loud. The parakeets, what and there's loads of them. And they're like, oh. Is it mating season? Well, just, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I wish they'd do it a bit more quietly. They're just so annoying. And I'm having to put my earplugs in. And then they come back. At around five o'clock in the afternoon, just when you're trying to have a little quiet moment, maybe in the garden. Do you like my impression? When you say a quiet moment in the garden, you mean watching Escape to the Country again, don't you? You don't mean a quiet <laughs> yeah. moment in the garden. No, fish. well, maybe not. Maybe a cup of tea. You talking about parakeets in the morning. I just have that vision of you lying in bed like um, Cinderella with the birds flying around, <laughs> like that car- the Disney cartoon. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. Everyone, Trish, have you noticed anything different about me today? Am I more giddy than usual? Perky looking? More of a glint mm-hmm. in my eye? You might have to put your glasses on, I you think. <laughs> definitely need the glasses. Well, I think you are quite excitable and upbeat, but it is Friday, so I'm, I'm thinking it's because you're thinking about the gin and crisps at the end of the day. My crisps and my cocktail. Oh, yes, yeah. it is Friday, isn't it? Yes, mm. exciting. You know, I've had a little adventure now that the world is opening up again. Mm. Well, I've been following the three-day anti-inflammatory diet, as you know, because we talked about the book last week on the podcast, Health Revolution, the book, and that's made me quite jolly, less bloated, but um, Mm I'm not going to go into that here. And I've also done something else unusual to boost my metabolism, Mm. like guinea pig that I am. I'm going where other midlife women fear to tread. (laughs) Go on. I need to know. Spit it out. (laughs) Well... You will like this. Well, mm. you might not like it, but I liked it. I've been standing almost naked by my mm. pants, a pair of woolly socks and some fluffy gloves mm. in a cryo chamber. Oh, yes. Yeah. Where the temperature, no, I'm not a wuss about this. The temperature dropped to minus 188 <laughs> for two minutes. Did you hear that? Minus 100, which made my elbows really cold. Ooh. I'm not sure why it affected my elbows because I've been testing out what cold temperatures can do to boost your immune system mm. as well. Because obviously I want to live till I'm 124. Mm-hmm. I did quite enjoy it because I am addicted to the cold. And in mm-hmm. another episode, I will go into why, what, when. But you know what? I even enjoyed the tube journey there and the walk home. <laughs> it's a bit like a mini adventure now that I'm allowed out. <laughs> it's exciting. You didn't go home in your pants and socks and gloves, did you? I assume you had to. <laughs> But did your ears get cold? I always think it's your, your extremities. Did, were your ears covered? No, Trish, they didn't because my head oh. poked through a little thing. <laughs> I will send you a picture. I can't wait. Tonight. Yeah, that's good. But as I was walking back, enjoying my newfound freedom released post-lockdown, I realised that um, now I've been released, I'm going to have to release the teens back into the world mm. for the summer. Um, and this is their summer of making up, isn't it? And I think we should talk about what will happen when we release them in our jibber-jabber section of the show. Yeah, well, we've been investigating how we support them as they cut the cord and possibly adopt a more hedonistic mindset to make up for missing summer last year. And in Mm. fact, today's show is a shockingly useful one, I might say. So everybody listening, you might need a pen and paper as there's so much advice and support coming your way. Our guest is Dr. Anise Mukherjee, a.k.a. the Hormone Doctor, who will be talking very specifically about how to manage your fluctuating hormones in midlife and telling us her story of early menopause too. 
Yes, and in How to Win at Midlife, More Usefulness, um, that section we will be road testing and recommending new mascaras for summer and tinted moisturisers. Yes, it's a jam-packed show. And we're basically ramping up our credentials as midlife agony aunts and answering as many of your frequently asked questions yes. as possible, like we did because we were on Times Radio last oh, week. Oh, it's very we, exciting. <laughs> but we were asked to discuss, there was a survey about parents who regret having children. So we had to talk all about that, didn't we? Which was very <laughs> one interesting. In, yes, one in 12 people regret mm. having children, um, slightly younger than us um, yes. when you might be more tired. Um, I think it was one of our, finest broadcasting yes actually and it's another bid for our own times radio show where we have basically become the i mean we basically go on once a week now we're the go-to family experts yes well we are it's really lovely to be able to go and do these things as a duo representing all our lovely listeners from the postcards from midlife community and i think maybe one day we might get our own radio show lorraine what do you think well i've already planned my outfit (laughs) for radio outfits outfits yes and I've got my own radio show persona, Trish, which yeah. I will uh, be unveiling. And I'm, I want it to be a kind of call-in show. And then we can both say, we're listening, like Fraser Crane. Oh, like that? that, but wearing leopard print. Yeah. Right, we're at the jibber-jabber section of Postcards from Midlife. And today we're going to discuss the summer because you're probably all looking forward to your post-pandemic summer with a glint in your eye now that things are getting back to normal and while we're generally pleased about this many of us are also filled with dread because this does mean we're going to release our tweens and teens back into the wild and the grown-up world of pubs and festivals and 18ths and 16ths and also those impromptu gatherings that they seem to have outside, which are all the rage. Um, It is a bit nerve-wracking watching them spread their wings um, at the best of times. I mean, I'm still trying to hold my 18-year-old's hand Mm -hmm. when she crosses the road, which makes her very (laughs) annoyed. Uh, But this year, I think they're going to get, you know, they're making up for all the fun they lost out on last year, Mm -hmm. which is great, but terrifying, frightening for me. I'll be holding my breath as they plan their run for the sun. I'm even thinking about getting a teenage outfit to go out as a fancy dress person and (laughs) spy spy on them. Spy on them. (laughs) Be a little bit emo dripping around behind them but I am a little bit worried yeah what do you think Trish are you worried about yours well yes and no I feel like because they're 17 now I feel that we've been through the worst of the when about 15 16 is when it all starts and that's when you get really anxious and that's when they start sort of experimenting I think more with alcohol and they don't know their limits and they don't know what they're doing and they're trying to impress people and they're trying to do all of these kind of things whereas they're a bit older but I just it's more that they you know they don't want to come on holiday <laughs> they don't want to be they just want no. to be with their friends and you know I just remember feeling when I was 70 I had an awful lot of freedom actually um it, and you know that's the age mine are now so I want them to feel that as well because I look back on it time I wasn't drinking I was going out to see bands and gadding around London and going up to Hampstead and Camden and all of these kind of places and um, the thing that was great for me was that my mum and dad we'd set a time and that was fine that I would come home but they were always willing to pick me up from the station and you sort of don't appreciate that at the time because you think it's their job don't you but looking back I just realized how generous and caring of them and they were never grumpy about it and that is one of the things that's really stayed with me that and the fact that they were really happy for us to have any of our friends around at any time and you know I've got friends who said oh my parents never let us do that so I think it's that if they can feel that you've got their back and that your place is somewhere that they can be and their friends can come, then it feels a bit easier somehow. You feel a bit less of trust and a bond, I think. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously been through it because of the different ages of your kids, but does yes. it get any less yeah. scary, do you think, as, they, as the younger uh, ones come up the ages? Well, <laughs> yes and no, because obviously my 18-year-old drives now, so I worry mm. about that yes. slightly more. Another thing to worry they about. Go further yeah. and they, they will then stay overnight as well, mm-hmm. so you don't have as much communication. I mean, I left home just after 17 so I sort of had quite a free teenage Mm -hmm. time myself I've done a couple of talks actually for schools around teenagers going out this summer particularly because last year they were kind of locked up and it was horrific for them so what um, the experts have been telling me which I think is nice for our listeners to know is that you 
need to let them relax this summer, mm-hmm. that we need to relieve them of our expectations of them, that, you know, the pandemic. So if you look at the pandemic as a sort of workout, when you train for something and you work out, you've then got to follow it with a period of restoration and, and mm-hmm. rest and relaxation. And this should be the summer they can do that. So the goal really, if you ask what would the goal be after this brutal year that they've had, is to let them do nothing, isn't it? Is mm. to leave them of the stress of waking up early not to to fill their head with ideas of exam academic catching Mm. up I know a lot of parents were asking me on one of the things I did how do we help them catch up over the summer and for everyone I've spoken to says no 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 don't let them do that do nothing and don't create a summer where they have to to kind of sort something out and make Mm. you feel better because the pandemic was stressful when we go through stress we grow that helps develop resilience but we do need to go back to school them to go back to school or whatever Mm. they're doing with a full tank and another thing that came up quite a lot actually about what do I do this summer is parents whose children are quite introverted and I've got Mm -hmm. one of those very happy to spend the whole time indoors Mm -hmm. (laughs) last summer actually that you have to be active about you do have to help them get out and face their fears because if you don't face a fear then you reinforce the idea Mm -hmm. that they are right to be fearful of it so you know baby steps but it will make children more anxious adolescents more anxious if they are already anxious if you don't help them get out and about so it's just talking about it with them Mm -hmm. Mm. I think but we had a nice um post on Facebook yes we we? did yes from one of our regular contributors the smart and witty Emma and it was about her teenage daughter who has finished her A-levels so obviously those doing exams or not doing exams have already finished so they're already in this kind of summer demob happy going out having a good time and Emma says when she was still studying or we were giving lifts it was easy to impose curfews but now she's enjoying her freedom for a while and relying on friends for lifts she wants to stay out to 1am 2am 3am all well and good but I find myself waking regularly to see if she's home when and I'm working we've talked about it and need to reach compromise but on a weeknight I need to go to bed by 10 30 p.m so one part of me says let her enjoy it and go to sleep and stop worrying the other says it's my house my rules I should set the boundary and this is something that I definitely do struggle with is the waiting up for them to come home I can't kind of sleep but there were a couple of suggestions little helpful bits of advice so obviously snapchat if they're on snapchat you can go on snapchat and follow them follow them yeah but there's something as well life 360 do you know this this is a this is an app for families and it's basically almost like a family snapchat and you can see their location you can see all sorts of different things it's quite a nice one i mean it is sort of living in a bit of an orwellian (laughs) sort of wow they can see we the parents can see everything that they're doing but as long as we don't judge it I think that's no, fine that's isn't true. it just knowing exactly. it is fine and don't yeah. don't ask them about it you just know about what no. you know where they are but don't interrogate them afterwards because they do need their privacy but my yeah. favorite one which I think I might be doing is from Rachel who says my mother used to set a time I had to be in and then set an alarm for that time when I came in I had to go into the room and turn it off that way she slept knowing that she didn't have to worry unless the alarm went off that's good, isn't it? Yeah, is a genius. I've seen Anya Heimarch's mm. book actually. Is a couple it? Of people oh, that's that. yes, a really quite good, a good thing to do. It's a low tech, low risk, you know, re- strategy. <laughs> I'm saying so. I think I'm going to try that one. But what about some um, of the things like the drink, drugs, yes. sex? What I mean, what are your experts people telling us panic, about that? People panic, don't they? People yeah. are panicking about that. I always say, watch the Netflix comedy drama, Sex yeah. Education, if you really want to know what's going on and have your head get your head around it. And actually, Series Three is out. Mm. I think this year as well so this is a summer of discovery so don't catastrophize don't panic and don't set unrealistic boundaries about which you know you're going to have terrible arguments about because they're boundaries that no one can keep but if you do set boundaries you've got to have a consequence if they're broken as well so otherwise there's no point saying don't do this if you don't have a kind of curfew setting or however you want to set your consequences afterwards but I think if terrible things happen then don't talk to them about it when they come in when they're in a terrible Mm. state as we have all witnessed (laughs) talk to them about it the next day when they can take that information in Um, and I've interviewed kind of 
people who set up festivals and run festivals and they always say if you're really worried google the name of the festival and put the word controversy in next to it yeah. so that you get a sense of the kind of thing that yeah. might happen and you can talk about that rather than but not in a kind of shaming way or bossy way where you have a chat about it and I think you do have to face the fact that they might experiment and that's going to yeah. happen so how are you going to deal with that and mm. how are you going to register your disapproval in advance so they know that you don't agree with it but you will help them if something happens and also to mention that it is breaking the law to take drugs and yeah. to drink under 18 so that will stay around them if that's something that um, happens to them so I think it's about not panicking isn't it and mm. not trying to control every element yeah. of their life because they're growing uh, up and separating yeah. and as you say it's being realistic about what's really going on and it's better to have those facts and that information and that understanding rather than letting your imagination run riot and then setting your anxiety and stress levels kind of into overdrive. I think it's quite good to, if they are inclined and you feel that they are kind of mentally and physically strong enough after last summer's trauma, they can get jobs this summer. Um, I know yours have. There is a website called Indeed, which has hundreds of hospitality jobs Mm. on it. All the Facebook pages of the local pubs and places like that, you know, they put their jobs up there and you know I'm a big fan of people walking into places and saying do you need any help over the summer that kind of thing and I think the main thing though is to not do it for them is to just you know if they want to do that they should be sorting that out themselves Mm -hmm. because I think employers will see that more favorably than you sort of say my my child needs some some work this summer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Trish what I'm slightly worried about is they'll be hanging around critiquing our summer fun won't they (laughs) I mean, I'm planning a dampener on it. Summer of fun myself. Oh, I've got a little oh, on order. Yes. So I found out that you can put chili in tequila <gasps> cocktails, Ooh. which is a new discovery. So nice. I'm going to be ringing you to come and collect yes. me parties. <laughs> And then I I'm going to sit in the that. back of the car and pretend not to be drunk. Not on to the way be back. drunk, and I won't judge you. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And a woman will produce very harmonious levels of estrogen, among other hormones, brain hormones and progesterone and testosterone through the monthly cycle. But every single day of the monthly cycle, the hormones are different. And as a woman goes into perimenopause, that harmony starts to sort of untangle and start getting just unharmonious. And that's when symptoms start. And then as a woman reaches menopause, when her eggs have run out, the ovaries can no longer produce sustainable amounts of estrogen, progesterone and testosterone also drop. And the brain hormones that actually are the the sort of master hormones that control the cycles go very, very high because they're actually trying to shout at the ovaries to take action. And that causes a lot of problems in perimenopause because the brain hormones are like the the manager in the factory. They're going, come on, you're not doing your job properly. You need to produce more estrogen. They sense the estrogen drops. And so in perimenopause, you can get real peaks and troughs in hormone release which you know crashes and surges which can cause a lot of problems what are brain hormones then are they the hormones in the brain or different hormones they're hormones in the brain so sort of fertility and female sort of reproductive hormones are dictated right from the very top of the brain in a, a tiny hormone gland called the hypothalamus and that produces a very important hormone called gonadotrophin releasing hormone which tells the pituitary gland which is another major brain hormone gland to release uh, these two hormones there's LH which is luteinizing hormone and FSH which is follicular stimulating hormone and the FSH is the one that really is integral in fertility so that's the one that some women will have checked to see if they're in menopause or closing into menopause the problem in perimenopause is that those hormones can be all over the place because they're shouting at the ovaries to produce more estrogen and then the ovaries have a little surge and produce a load of estrogen then you get your migraines and then and then the pituitary hormones say okay that's doing enough and they drop so in perimenopause it's all over the place and that's why blood tests are not very helpful in perimenopause right so this comes up a lot but i do say quite firmly when people ask on the facebook group or my social media you cannot have a test to to tell you you are perimenopausal can you explain to me why your GP would recommend a blood test anyway? What are they trying to find out? I mean, I like doing the blood test because it it, yeah. it, it can sometimes be helpful. So if, if I see a woman who's in her early or mid 40s, she's experiencing symptoms under 45. It's really quite young to be going into perimenopause. So we want to right. see if there's any evidence of it and whether something else is causing the symptoms. Right. So the blood test GP, GPs often don't do the hormone test. But if 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 I do hormone tests in younger women who I suspect having are in perimenopause, I will often see discrepant hormones. I might see very high LH and FSH, which is the brain hormones, which suggest there's something yeah. going on. And, you know, the ovaries aren't working. I can sometimes see really very high or very low levels of estrogen. And again, that fits with this, these surges and crashes that you get in the perimenopause. After menopause, your periods stop and you, all your hormones are low. It's pretty easy to diagnose. But most women whose periods have stopped, they kind of get that they're in menopause. It's when you're still having periods. They might be regular. They might be slightly irregular. But actually, the hormone production through the month is not harmonious. And that's why the symptoms can be Mm. really problematic. Mm -hmm. GPs will often do blood tests to exclude other causes of symptoms because the symptoms, as we know, of perimenopause are quite nonspecific. So, you know, some women will get bloating, weight gain, headaches, fatigue, sleep problems, mood irritability. And there are a number of other factors. They can be medical problems they can be lifestyle factors that can contribute yeah do the blood tests show other things then would they show issues with kidneys or cancer markers or anything like that would that be what was being looked for as well so the gps would do an assessment and then if if they think so so for example if a woman is feeling very fatigued they would certainly check her blood count to see if she's anemic because many women have period problems in the perimenopause they might check your thyroid um, because either an over or an underactive thyroid can cause symptoms that 
are similar to menopause, perimenopause symptoms. And they usually would do liver tests, kidney tests, just to exclude any additional problem that can cause Mm -hmm. those non-specific symptoms. So with thyroid then, because a lot of women talk about, they quite often discover at this midlife stage, an underactive thyroid. Can you explain what that means, what the treatment is? And if you're going through perimenopause at the same time, can you treat both together? How do you do that? Oh, absolutely. You should Mm -hmm. treat both together. And it's really, really important to treat both because if you treat one you won't gain the benefit Mm. from that treatment if you don't treat the other Mm -hmm. so um, midlife women are a big demographic for thyroid problems Um, only about one in a hundred women will develop an overactive thyroid but about between the ages of 35 and 65 one in eight women will have an underactive thyroid they may not know Gosh, about that's it. That's a lot. Isn't it's it? a lot. What does it do an underactive thyroid? Your thyroid is very integral to your metabolism, which is the rate at mm-hmm. which you burn calories and every cell in the body and the, the rate at which you create energy. So with an underactive thyroid, because the thyroid is so important for metabolism, if it's not working properly, the symptoms you can get are, and you'll see that these overlap with perimenopause, so it can be very difficult, weight gain, fatigue. So you might, you know, you lose yeah. your mojo and you can't exercise as much dry skin thinning of your hair brain fog and sometimes sleep problems bloating so all of those symptoms you know some women who are who think they may be perimenopausal actually might have an underactive thyroid i mean we have a fantastic nhs system in the uk but it works quite differently to most other western countries so in the uk if there's a suspicion of a thyroid problem you see a gp you don't generally see a specialist like me so things can get missed because it mm-hmm. isn't being looked at yeah. by somebody who really knows knows that that area area gps will not routinely check thyroid at the moment in a woman who's going with symptoms of perimenopause there's a question as to whether they should do because it's such a common problem Mm. in midlife women you should ask you can ask and i think most gps would do a basic thyroid Mm -hmm. check and that would definitely detect whether you've got a you know a significant thyroid problem it wouldn't necessarily test for more subtle thyroid problems but if your symptoms are really very significantly due Mm -hmm. to your thyroid it should show up on that test so if you're a midlife woman who has an underactive thyroid and is heading into or in perimenopause are you better off seeing an endocrinologist like yourself i assume you have to give medication for the underactive thyroid you want to give medication the hrt that must be such a fine balance it can be and the hormone treatment for the thyroid can impact on what hormone Mm. treatment you need for for perimenopause and menopause the fact in the uk is they can't provide access to endocrinologists for the number of women you'd have to be referred you'd have to be referred but there's not enough endocrinologists around Mm -hmm. to do that i spend a lot of time saying gps are incredibly intelligent educated doctors and if they did a little bit more cpd in these important areas particularly this sort of stuff in relation to midlife and women's health they can do it. It's just mm. that they're not mandated to do it and they've got mm. so much else to do. You know, even if there was one GP in every surgery or practice who did that extra training, it would make a huge difference to all women. So the other thing that we get asked about a lot, particularly on our private Facebook group, is that women start HRT in midlife, have been prescribed and then have sort of serious problems with their periods because, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of minefield anyway, the whole period thing. So they can be bleeding heavily, irregularly, flooding. Then they're taking progesterone tablets to break the cycle or to stop having periods. And then they're not bleeding and they should be bleeding. We get asked so many questions. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should they be eight weeks apart? How How do we navigate that? What's the best thing to do if you're going through that confusion? Well, again, understanding what's happening to your hormones in that is really important. So I said at the beginning, in perimenopause, that harmony of your menstrual cycle is lost. The ovaries in perimenopause are producing surges of estrogen. Because of these surges, you can have very erratic production of eggs in in that perimenopause phase. If you have a big surge of estrogen and and very high levels, that really thickens your womb lining. And if you're a woman perhaps who has other gynecological problems like fibroids, you might have a bulky uterus because, you know, you've had kids or other gynecological problems, that surge of estrogen can really then trigger at some point, sometimes when the estrogen starts to fall, 
huge shedding and blood clots and heavy bleeding right. which is unpredictable because the that's harmony why of the bleeding yeah correct mm. what can then happen and it's completely erratic and unpredictable is the the ovaries just go i can't produce this estrogen anymore i've not got enough eggs so the estrogen level then crashes and dips and of course that brings on all the insomnia and the anxiety and the, the problems with sleep but then you don't have any periods because there's no, because there's no estrogen to thicken the womb lining so it's all over the place so it's actually really unfortunately very common to have very erratic and unpredictable bleeding in perimenopause there are different ways of giving hormones with with hrt there are you can give progesterones but that the, the progesterone treatment will increase the shedding and, and try and clear the womb lining and try to stop it from proliferating but it's very imprecise science getting that perfectly right and often does so if need... you're taking progesterone though every day you don't have periods though do you well if there you're on no a progesterone shedding. only pill or if you've got yeah. a marina coil a lot of women find those really good in terms of period symptoms also if you're pouring with blood it's it can be painful it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, and you can become anemic many women in midlife do become anemic because yeah. of the heavy bleeding so there are things you can do yes the progesterone only pills the marina coils not everybody chooses that but with actual conventional hrt cyclical hrt that many women will start that isn't always enough to kind of counteract your own ovaries erratic mm. production of estrogen mm. and then the erratic bleeding okay. at what point should you be worried would you say with okay. bleeding yeah so if you're not having bleeding just going back to that that usually probably means your own ovaries are kind of just really not bothering and yeah. you're not getting too much thickening so I don't tend to worry if a woman is on hormone treatment and she's not bleeding okay the worrying time with bleeding is if you're getting prolonged unscheduled bleeding if you're getting blood clots if you're getting pelvic pain lower back pain any other symptoms that are new you know that that are concerning you you should be seen by your doctor and I'm not a gynecologist but in gynecology there's very good setups for if a woman is having bleeding that isn't right it's it's concerning then we have these protocols they're called two-week wait protocols Mm -hmm. where you get referred to a gynecologist and you can have the test to look into your uterus to see what is going on if there's anything concerning like a, a polyp that's bleeding or a big fibroid or thickening of the womb things like that so I think if you're in doubt and you're having heavy bleeding or any concerning bleeding you should see your GP and there are good services in the NHS to get Mm -hmm. that checked out and then for sort of other ongoing gynecological problems so I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome know so many women with endometriosis you know ovarian cysts all sorts of different things what effect does the perimenopause have on that you have to see it that perimenopause is essentially a hormone imbalance it's where your Mm. hormones go a bit haywire and polycystic ovarian syndrome is a hormone imbalance that affects Mm. women endometriosis is a little bit different because it's a gynecological problem where endometrial tissue is growing in areas where it's not supposed to grow and it's sensitive to hormones so uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis will have different impacts when you go into perimenopause with endometriosis it's a condition that is inflamed by estrogen so i was mentioning in perimenopause you can get surges and crashes in estrogen so that can be a problem and progesterone is is the most important hormone to give really to get enough of to balance that estrogen in mm-hmm. women with endometriosis it's a difficult problem endometriosis there aren't enough good quality nhs specialist services women take years the average is eight years to get even diagnosed mm. and about one in ten women suffer from it so you know that, that's something again in terms of women's health care that needs to be better managed because yes it can get worse in the perimenopause and then with polycystic ovarian syndrome, well, that's much more my my cup of mm. tea because that's a hormone problem. And um, it can cause a number of different symptoms. It's a spectrum. So it, some women, it causes weight gain. Some women, it causes fertility problems. Some women, it causes problems with skin. When you get to perimenopause, you're getting hormone fluctuations. Many women gain weight. Many women do notice changes in their hair, sometimes mm. acne. So they can irritate mm. each other, really. So the better control a woman has of her endometriosis her polycystic ovarian syndrome as well as everything else in her life the better she is managing her health and her other hormone problems or medical problems the less amplified impact Mm. the perimenopause will have it will always have its symptoms and every woman will experience those differently but 
those additional problems can be the difference between whether you really have a bad experience or whether it's milder. So a GP told me that if you have ovarian cysts and they're benign ovarian cysts, that if they burst and you're on HRT or you're taking extra hormones, that things like this are active when hormones are in the system. So my GP said this is going to make it worse if you keep taking HRT. But I mean, it's just every day you find something out and you think, can that be true? Can that not be true? But if, if they're not hormone experts, how can GPs know that? Yeah, th- that's fair to mm. say. If you're getting cyst formation, usually it means that your yeah. ovaries are active still. So either they're yeah. producing estrogen still. So I don't find that a small amount of estrogen <laughs> replacement really flares up cysts. The time it happens is in the perimenopause. When again, yeah. going back to this roller coaster of hormones, you're getting surges of estrogen and that causes the cyst formation. Some women are cyst formers, and after menopause, it does usually Put that on my down. CV. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cyst former. Yeah. Again, having an ovarian cyst wouldn't necessarily mean you shouldn't mm. have HRT, but obviously it depends on the circumstances. So if you're having, if you're bursting your ovarian cysts regularly and having to go to hospital and having surgery or, you know, you're very ill with it, then you might be a bit cautious and want really an expert opinion on what treatment you're having but for most women small cysts are very very common in the perimenopause and right the way through to postmenopause. Can we ask about hysterectomy because obviously that puts women often into a surgical menopause can you just explain that why would women have hysterectomies and what does the resulting surgical menopause impact have? So surgical menopause is performed for a very very wide variety of problems from having a cancer of one of the organs or a suspected cancer because sometimes it's difficult to tell whether if somebody's got a you know a big ovarian mass for example and they're not sure if it's benign or or cancerous sometimes uh, gynecologists will proceed to a hysterectomy to be absolutely mm-hmm. sure but for a whole host of other gynecological problems it can be for you know endo- severe endometriosis for uterine fibroids they're causing very very heavy bleeding the hysterectomy decision would always be an informed decision between a woman and a gynecologist mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be decided by a gp for example mm-hmm. and a hysterectomy is essentially the word the term means removal of the uterus but then there's a, there's subgroups. So you may have a hysterectomy and some or all of your ovaries removed. So for younger women who are not yet in menopause, um, who have gynecological problems and need a hysterectomy, the gynecologist will usually leave some ovarian tissue in mm-hmm. so that she can remain pre-menopausal and still have some of her own estrogen that will produce hormones Mm, it will continue to produce hormones often those women still have an earlier menopause but they can produce estrogen Mm -hmm. for some time after that limited hysterectomy if a woman is pretty close to natural menopause age so usually we say around if you're sort of late 40s early 50s the gynecologist will usually recommend a total hysterectomy which is removal of both the ovaries and the uterus and the reason that they do that actually is one because the ovaries are now no longer producing estrogen anyway so you're not losing a hormone production if you're already in the menopause but also one of the cancers that can affect any of us in later life um, which is always diagnosed late is ovarian cancer and none of us know if we're going to get that some people have a family history but it's unpredictable so I think that the historic sort of talk is that if you if you're postmenopausal and you need a hysterectomy why leave the ovaries in if they're not doing anything when 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, that might end up in an ovarian cancer. So it's kind of considered no longer needing to be there. But, you know, the the postmenopausal ovary does still produce some testosterone and a tiny bit of hormones. So surgical full hysterectomy can cause more significant symptoms than natural menopause. You had a chemically induced menopause when you were diagnosed with breast cancer. How many years ago was that? It's exactly (laughs) 10 years ago to the month. I I got a breast cancer diagnosis and I had a a, a slightly complicated picture because I had two cancers in one breast, not just one. After I'd had my surgery, all my statistics, because they look at loads of different panels of test gene tests and the histology and, and everything about, you know, if the lymph nodes were involved. And I was told afterwards, actually, you know, you've got really great stats. You don't need chemotherapy. And at that time I turned 42 
and I had two young kids, seven and 10. And I was an endocrinologist. I, was, I had a very, very strongly estrogen receptor positive cancer. And I have a lot of understanding about breast cancer because I've worked in that field for many years before yes. I developed breast cancer. So I just wanted no estrogen. I just said, please give me chemotherapy because I want to have belt and braces treatment to stop, you know, to stop any chance of this coming back. I went to see the oncologist and he said, no, you don't need chemo. Chemo can cause all these problems. And at that point, many women were being given the chemically induced menopause. So the chemical menopause essentially is an injection of those brain hormones and it just completely switches off your ovaries. So it's like you don't have your ovaries removed, but they are switched completely onto zero. It's a sledgehammer How did you feel about that? I was very empowered because I knew exactly what was going on. I mean, I was very lucky because... I was an endocrinologist and I'd managed women with chemically induced menopause, with surgical menopause, with natural menopause, having great difficulties over many years. So it was my opportunity to see what it was like for all my patients. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a real gift for a doctor to actually yeah. experience. And so yeah. I turned it all around in my mind and also embraced lifestyle. And I talk mm. about my lifestyle toolkit yeah. in my book. You know, I started to go walking. I did loads of exercise, built up exercise. Because obviously after the surgery, you feel a bit sort of punched yeah. in the face. I attended to nutrition. I'm also very lucky in many respects. I've got fantastic friends. I think that helps. I think laughter and, and you know, a good social network is really important. So that all of those things I built back up. And then I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to work. So I went back to work after four months. And yeah. and so lots of things just made it easier for me, really. And I picked myself up and I moved. That's the difficulty when you get any sort of diagnosis that that hits you hard. And that can be menopause for many women. I think it's about trying to take back control mm-hmm. and then moving forward. And it's just it, it can be quite difficult. And the sooner you're able to do that using any tools that you've got for yourself Mm. and getting help where needed. It just makes a huge difference. And you've written about it in the book and it's so much great advice, you know, for women who can't take HRT and are in a situation with having extreme symptoms. You've mentioned briefly some of the things that you did, but can you maybe talk us through maybe some of the lifestyle changes? What are the kind of key things that you would advise a woman in menopause who can't take HRT? What lifestyle changes does she need to make? The first thing is small changes that are achievable and sustainable. So it doesn't matter where you start. If you try and do too much too quick, you'll get nowhere because Mm -hmm. you'll stop and you won't persist. And it's the first chapter in my lifestyle toolkit is exercise. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women go, oh, don't give me that again. You know, I'm sitting at a desk all day. I'm too busy. I'm ferrying the kids around in a taxi to different places. I'm looking after elderly relatives. But it, it doesn't have to be a triathlon or a marathon that you're building up for. Make small changes. Do five minutes of walking around the house in between your work sessions or, or something like that. But start where you are and build up very small mm-hmm. small steps. And, and then you're not going to injure yourself. And then as you build up, do what you enjoy. I love doing group classes, actually. I couldn't, I tried personal trainers and I, I, I hate it. But in the group, I love it because it's like mm-hmm. a team. You're a team and you're all keeping up with each other. Mm-hmm. And that works for me, but that might not work for other people. Mm-hmm. So exercise, if it was a pill, it would be a bestseller. It would be mm-hmm. top of the charts yes. because if you do regular weight-bearing exercise, and it can be as simple as walking 30 minutes a day, reduces the impact over 10 years of basically pretty much every modern nasty health issue. So, wow. you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, colon cancer, breast cancer, yeah. and it makes you feel better because it mm-hmm. regulates your stress response. The stress thing, I think is really interesting for our generation. And Trish and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, and you've talked about adrenal burnout, which I think is a really important point to make. So all menopause, perimenopause symptoms aside, often when we get to this stage of life, we have been manic up until this point. We've worked really hard. We've had our children. We've been constantly doing a hundred different things. And there's a lot of talk around this now, this adrenal burnout. So what's happening to your hormones with stress then? Tell me how it's affecting. Extreme stress is affecting us from a hormonal point of view. Yeah, so the stre- the main stress hormones that that are produced by the adrenal glands are adrenaline and cortisol. Most people now have yeah. heard of those hormones. Yeah. And adrenaline is your fight or flight response. But cortisol is your adaptive response that lasts for longer. Cortisol follows a body clock. Ad- adrenaline tends to be a sort of old trading rhythm. You, yeah. you you produce it as you need it. And 
these hormones become dysregulated in chronic stress. So it's not a disease of the adrenal glands. It's an environmental problem that's causing your adrenals to respond to threats that aren't there. So our adrenals are there for fight or flight, famine and feast. So your cortisol is trying all the time. It's going, there's there's definitely danger. I've got to keep, and the adrenaline in perimenopause, you know, surges can be, you know, part of why people get palpitations and and those symptoms, but it's all- mixed up yeah and the problem with the cortisol is it's not that you're producing too much it's not cortisol excess it's not deficiency it's imbalance so the body clock regulation of your cortisol is lost and so instead of being really high in the morning getting you ready for the day which is what it should be the cortisol it's low and so you wake up unrefreshed the cortisol high in the morning makes you wake up refreshed if and then at the end of the day because you've been going all day and your cortisol has had to push you through that day it's too high in the evening so you go to bed tired and wired and your sleep quality is disrupted so that's a simplistic way of looking at it but this is known scientifically as a concept which i write about in my book called allostatic load which has long-term health consequences and midlife women are carrying that burden but if you understand what's happening even understanding why you're waking up unrefreshed can help you think right okay what did i do yesterday why am i so exhausted today you know and perhaps you did something very stimulating in the evening electronic devices are a, a real problem um at night because right. they're stimulating content that you're looking at and there's blue light which is actually suppresses your melatonin release and again disrupts your sleep so in in my lifestyle toolkit i talk about sleep and i talk about stress and i also talk about nutrition managing fatigue and weight management because actually 60 percent of the uk population are overweight or obese Mm -hmm. and that is hitting midlife women because in midlife many women notice weight gain or gain around their middle if you've been accumulating weight from your 20s very very slowly you might not notice it and then you suddenly hit perimenopause and suddenly it's really really easy to gain weight we have got a copy of your book to give away as a prize on our facebook group so everybody listening please do go on there and you can get a copy of Anise's book thank you very much for joining us thank you for having me it's been lovely talking Welcome to How to Win at Midlife, our even more useful part of the show. This is the bit where me and Trish put our magazine editing and journalist hats on and act as your guide through all the midlife subjects close to your heart or where we try and test something new. Now, this week, I'm going to be pimping your lashes, Trish, and you are going to be giving me a tinted glow. I am indeed. Yes. Tell me about your lashes. Listen, mascara was invented in 1900. And it was just coal and Vaseline. Can you remember that? (laughs) I know you're older than me. Oh, I know. What a greasy, messy, powdery combination. Good grief. What would be the point? How does someone come up with that? Very strange. Well, we've we've come a long way. And over 30 years of magazine editing, Mm. I have seen... I would say about 16 million wands and mascaras mm. and new mascaras. Um, and I've got a very close friend who's a makeup artist, uh, Lisa Potter Dixon. She's done a really good blog, actually, if you wanted to look that up, which is a really massive tried and tested on all mascaras. Um, or Caroline Herons has done some mm-hmm. great stuff. But I have found one myself, mm-hmm. which came to me via social media because so many people kept saying how much they loved it. I thought, well, I'm going to just go down to yeah. Boots and buy it. Did you hear that, Trish? Buy it myself. <laughs> Uh, not get scented <laughs> and it's called this is my new favorite the max factor divine lashes Ooh. rich black 11.99 in boot it's brilliant and in my research for some mascaras to recommend i found out that you shouldn't keep them more than three months no mascaras. did you know yes that? because they can get bacteria on them and they you can cause eye infections and things i think they dry out a bit yeah. as well don't they claggy they go claggy here are my recommendations can you just tell me why you like that one first look at me look at it gorgeous (laughs) isn't it (laughs) i thought that was the cry of cryotherapy making you look so gorgeous but now i know it's that and the mascara combination oh yeah i'll tell you why i like it because it gives you it makes you look like you're wearing mascara so i usually go for a much finer one which this one properly makes you look like it doesn't leave yes yeah, look, it doesn't leave anything underneath and it stays on all day. And yeah. let me tell you, I wore it with my goggles for a swim. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> when I came out, 
it was still on. No smeary, still no looked. smeary smudgy. Very good. Yeah. Panda eyes. So that there we are. That's my uh, that's one of my recommendations. Mm. Let me tell you about the other three. So three affordable ones I think you could buy that are good. Mm-hmm. Maybelline Lash Sensation Sky High, ten pounds. Boots, etc. Mm-hmm. The Rimmel one hundred percent waterproof. Now I put this on my list because I think I have a lot of friends who are swimmers, and it's quite good. And we'll all be out and about in the summer. That's only six ninety nine. It's quite hard to get it off though. Oh right, okay, yeah. Um, and listen, this one is three pound fifty. Good grief! Bye bye, Panda Eyes mm. Essence. Bye bye, Panda Eyes. So I got this one, tried it, loved it, and then it was gone because obviously. <laughs> The teenagers had taken it. Okay. Yes, annoying, isn't it? So if you want to spend a little bit more, my favourite luxury one is the Gucci L'Obscure, which mm. I've mentioned before, mm. L-O-B-S-C-U-R. There is no flake on this, and it's really fine. Mm-hmm. It's not a volume mascara. It's kind of an everyday one. That's £30. Mm. Everyone, every beauty influencer I know loves the Marc Jacobs Lashed Length and Curl, Okay. Everyone loves that. And then the Hourglass range gets a lot of praise. Right. Um, there's one called Unlocked Instant Extensions. Kevin O'Coin, Indian Knight's favourite products. His is £22. People like mm-hmm. that. The late Kevin, lovely man. And then the other one that I think I use at work when I was in full-time employment on a magazine was the Victoria Beckham Future Lash um, mm-hmm. because it's a very tiny brush, which I quite mm. like. If you put concealer under your eye, a concealer with oil in it will attract the mascara. That's why you get a dark thing under your eye so it's not necessarily mascara so you need a more powdery thing under the eye and when applying start at the root and flick up and then use your wand in a vertical way to separate your lashes particularly on the outside because that makes your eyes look bigger and then when you want to remove stuff you've got all over your eye as often happens Mm. use a dry not a wet cotton bud to dab it oh right okay that's my eyelashes very useful that's very good thank you so shall i tell you about my well tinted moisturizers so i really like using them in the summer because they're so lightweight and the thing about obviously it's a moisturizer so it's hydrating and i've got quite dry skin so it's very nice for that and they're just very easy to apply they give you that kind of no makeup makeup look with a little bit of radiance added in i think we could all do with a bit of that so i I've kind of just given up on foundations completely, really. Um, I think I'd only use one now if I was going to a big fancy do and maybe I might have some blusher and a smoky eye and a lipstick and all of that. So like the full the full face. Yeah. But as we know, that just doesn't happen anymore. It's not going anywhere, are you? No, I used to go everywhere. I'll just put anywhere. it on for the parakeets. <laughs> but actually, a tinted moisturiser with a bit of concealer for the, for the say, maybe just a bit of redness around the nose or whatever, that sort of... I redness around the nose. A little brown mahouta from all that gin. And that does the sort of heavy duty work, uh, uh, you know, if I'm having a bit of a bad skin day. But I think they're really good because they work on all skin types. Very good if you're dry, dehydrated, etc. And you need a little bit of May I ask? Yes. Do you put them over your ordinary moisturiser or just yes. on their own? Yes. Well, oh, I would moisturise my face and then I might go and have my breakfast <laughs> or something. And then it, that's all sunk in. And then when I'm doing my makeup, I would put my makeup being a bit of tinted moisturiser, a bit of mascara yeah. and that's it, it. An eyebrow brush. Then I would do that there. Now, a lot of them now, um, certainly the sort of mid-price range ones, have SPFs in them. Some of them are very good. I would definitely rely on that i'd be fine with that like here in the uk but if i was on holiday i would definitely be putting factor 50 on underneath as giant well. so I, just don't, yeah, I just don't think i would rely on them because i just don't know that yeah, i would trust Celtic myself skin. to get it everywhere properly so the ones i tried and tested and liked budget buy right, what do you like budget buy i'm going to recommend skin paradise tinted moisturizer by l'oreal paris for 10.99 from boots and that's available in eight shades it was kind of nice to apply Tint. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot of that because we've got a lot of French brands in here. So it didn't really last all day, but it was a nice kind of price tag. Liked it, thought it was good. Nice smell, nice texture, but a little okay. bit 
slightly too lightweight for me, I think. Okay. Um, then mid-price is an awful lot of choice and some really great products in that sort of 25 to 35 pound price bracket. Some really good formulations. And I had three favorites, Bare Minerals Complexion Rescue Tinted Hydrating Gel Cream, which is 24 pounds at lookfantastic.com. And that is available in 19 shades, which is amazing. Smooths on really well, light luminous finish, and you can sort of layer it. So if you do need a bit of extra coverage and it's all natural vegan ingredients, mineral SPF, NARS Pure Radiant Tinted Moisturizer, which is 33 pounds at John Lewis. Now that is a cult classic, I would say. That's hard journalists. to get, I think, that one. Do you think? No, Often I think it sells a out. Place. Well, it might sell out in your shade. It does have 16 shades, but beauty journalist Sally Hughes swears by it. And actually, this was the first time I've ever tried it. And I kind of did see what all the fuss was about. It's got slightly more of a matte finished um, finish, right. but it still makes you feel polished and glowy. And then finally, in this price range Laura Mercier £29.75 at boots.com that felt more sheer than NARS but it lasted really well and god it smelled lovely and because I can often feel my skin tightening up towards the afternoon and it did feel so as you get crosser yes cross and angry as the day goes on that comes in a whopping 20 shades and it's really great that these brands are so kind of racially inclusive what in there did you find the shade for you what is your oh, shade for well, your pale faces? well it's all different because they all have different so but yeah. the interestingly these three ones in this mid-price range i actually use their online tools to work it out and they have different kind of virtual oh. technologies and i was a bit like oh god if this doesn't work i'm not sure you know this isn't going to be great because it's a bit nerve-wracking but when they all arrived then in the post they were they were great I had the right match which I was really pleased about and I do have a below the budget because some brands they go up to 100 pounds which well, seems... then you can keep them for some time this you is a can kind of they, they do thing, last, last. Yeah. but I think this one actually seems relatively affordable in comparison and that's uh wait wait for some really bad French here Chanel Les Beaux de Ton water fresh tint which is 45 pounds <laughs> on feelunique.com and that comes in eight shades from sort of deep to light oh my god it was gorgeous just glorious i love the smell the texture the end, end results you can see how lovely <laughs> it's quite orgasmic and it comes with this brush and you have to pop it on your hand and rub and then sort of blend it all in because it's got these little micro droplets of pigment that you blend in i really highly recommend them oh, and of course we will put all you. of these on the post on the Facebook group, won't we? So we will do that, yes. Choice. Yes, indeed. So there we are. Tried Thank and you. tested. So here we are, nostalgia noodle time. Lorraine, where have you been drifting off to in your thoughts oh. of the past? Oh, back in time via something very today. So okay. I don't know, Trish, if you are on the next door. <laughs> next door just joined which actually. is basically the world's best sitcom happening <laughs> live in front of you it's like the best it's... whatsapp group you could ever be on so i am nostalgia noodling back to my pets uh, yes. when i was a child guinea pigs via a post on the next door app because um, i had a lot of guinea pigs yes. i accidentally bought a pregnant guinea pig and then had about a thousand of them and obviously when i left home i just left them with my life to look <laughs> nice <up>. yeah <laughs> anyway on the next door app there was a little call out for guinea pig owners mm. <laughs> i am thinking i'm reading it out to you as the world starts to open up and people are traveling again who will look after the guinea pigs all of my friends have dogs and they see guinea pigs as snacks so i don't trust them i would like to create a group of guinea pig lovers who will babysit as i go out for my guinea pigs this is not even going on holiday this is babysitting this is guinea babysitting pigs while they go out no if anyone is interested let's create a little whatsapp group Anyway, I'm showing you a photo of my two guinea pigs because you may think I'm a mad woman trying to steal all the hamstered piggies. I think the key phrase there is mad woman. Mad woman, yes. I just think... I mean, it's some quite people a slime. around, Trish, on what mm. next door. And I found your boyfriend. And you've oh, lovely. Him. What's weird about Hi. him then? I've just moved into the area and I love disco. <laughs> Could you please advise where I can go and shake my booty and oh, dance, dance, dance? I'm in well, my 50s. 
<laughs> oh, that'll be in your kitchen then, won't it? I think. Yes, maybe. I have just loved my yes. little twenty-minute rootle through the next door. Yeah. App, we could make that a little me. regular, couldn't it? <laughs> Olga stores. and Boris, the two oh. guinea pigs, I left my mum to oh. look after when oh. I left home. Where have you been? I've been back to my maths lessons. With Mrs. Coombs, my maths teacher, and her instrument of torture. But I'll just start. The reason I got to this little noodle was that I was um, writing something in a notebook. And I got the notebook out and I went through the pages and found a little bit where the page wasn't filled up and drew a line across and wrote in there. And I thought, what am I doing? There's loads of pages in this notebook. I don't need to fill in the... And of course, Mrs. Coombs would never let us have a new maths book unless... Every, and she would look at every page, go, no, there's a corner there, draw a line around it, put your little equation in. Anyway, so it got me back to her. And she was very much, obviously, post-war make, do and mend, tweed skirts, you know, rinse and set type yes. thing. Very, obviously, very good teacher. I hated maths. I wasn't very good. And the me worst neither. thing was the slide rule. Do you remember a slide rule? Do I, I don't that? know. I spent a lot of time stood outside maths classes <laughs> But this, I literally, it was an instrument of torture. I just didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It was all about logarithms and trigonometry and and all of that. It was quite traumatising. You've spoken to your therapist about this, Trish. But I just love that I can get all the way there from just writing in a little notebook. (laughs) It's deep in your subconscious, isn't it? I think math lessons are like going to the dentist. I think it is. It's a painful, painful subject. But there we are. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too, if you would. And please download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers because that's really helpful for us. And don't forget to join us on our private Facebook group or on our Instagram, or email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. And also have a look at our new website, which has all the episodes grouped into topics. So there's something there for everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.